Hello everyone and welcome to the second season of the History of Modern Greece, where we cover the subject of the fall of Constantinople to the modern day. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts, and I'm here with my father, George. Hi, my name's George. And our music is brought to you by Mark Youngerman. This is Season 2, Episode 65, Enemies at the Gate. In our last episode, we shared the story of the two empresses, Zoe and Theodora, the last of the great Macedonian dynasty. The Byzantine Golden Age was dominated by the Macedonian dynasty, and when one died, so did the other. In reality, the empire's foundation had been cracking for decades. This is where it came crashing down. When Theodora died in 1056, her successor Michael Bringus was coronated as the Roman Emperor, making him Michael VI. There was uncertainty in the capital. There had been so many emperors since the death of Constantine VIII, and they made many bad decisions. From cutting taxes to the wealthy, cutting funding to the military, appointing bad generals, and purging good ones. With the Macedonians gone, anyone could claim power. Even when someone took the position of emperor, they could be purged from any angle. On the borders of the Roman Empire, things were much worse. Basil II expanded the borders further than they had been in centuries. But he also centralized power and made it extremely expensive to govern. The newly conquered people in the empire were expecting some kind of benefit to be ruled by the emperor. At the very least, it demanded peace and stability. Unfortunately, peace and stability were no longer on the menu. There were enemies at the gates in the west, the north, and the east. In Italy... The Byzantine Roman Empire had to deal with the Holy Roman Empire, the Lombards, and the Fatimids in Sicily. And that was on a good day. But now they were being invaded by the Normans. And the Normans were giant brutes, berserker warriors descended from Vikings. They came crashing down into Byzantine Italy with only one thing on their mind. Conquest. Some have described them as medieval terrorists. The Byzantine capital of Italy, Bari, fell to the Normans in 1071, kicking the Romans out of Italy. In the north, the Pechenegs attacked the Romans through Bulgaria. The Romans had known about the Pechenegs for quite some time. They were a nomadic steppe tribe that lived north of the Crimea. Something happened in the Eurasian steppe that forced the Pechenegs out of their homes and across the Danube into Bulgaria. This led to the Byzantine-Pecheneg Wars, which drained the treasury in Constantinople. The Pechenegs were skilled horse riders, and their military tactics were devastating against the Romans. To give you an idea of how bad the wars were, picture this. The Pechenegs rode into battle lightning fast and pelted the Roman horses with arrows, killing every Roman horse. And before the Romans could retaliate, the Pechenegs rode off and camped over the horizon. 
The very next day, the riders came back, circled around the Roman foot soldiers, never getting close enough to engage in battle, but close enough to fire arrows at them all day. Anyone who ran was chased down and killed. At the end of the day, the Pechenegs rode away again and camped over the fields, far away from the Romans, where they could get a full night's sleep in peace. At dawn, the very next day, they chased down the Romans, caught up to them, circled them, and fired more arrows, killing thousands every day. Entire armies were lost. Sometimes they'd panic and run for the trees. Other times, they just ran, and the horse riders chased them all down. Sometimes the Roman soldiers stood and fought. They stayed formed up and held off the Pechenegs, but eventually... They ran out of food. The Pechenegh Wars lasted from 1049 CE to 1053 and drained the treasury. This moment can be pinpointed in archaeological records because this is the moment the coins are debased. Modern scientists can actually tell when the coins were debased and by how much. The Pechenegs completely destabilized the Balkan Peninsula. The Romans weren't safe in Bulgaria or Thrace. In the east, a new threat faced the Roman Empire. If we go back a few centuries, it was the Sassanids that threatened the empire from the east, then it was the Arab Caliphate, and eventually the Umayyads, and then the Abbasids. But over the last century and a half, the Roman Empire had stabilized its eastern frontier, and even extended it. There were many Muslim subjects living in the Roman Empire. It's probably safe to bet they didn't like being ruled by Christians. Well, now there was a new powerhouse on the eastern border. A powerhouse that had been raining down terror and destruction on the Abbasid Caliphate and the Middle East for decades. They were the Seljuk Turks. These Turkic steppe warriors came from the steppe lands, but had converted to Sunni Islam. Not only did they have all the deadly attributes of the nomadic steppe tribes, but they also had the rallying power of the Islamic Caliphate. In 1071, at the Battle of Manzikert, the Seljuk Turks defeated the Byzantine Romans and secured a permanent foothold in Anatolia. From here they squeezed in, taking more and more land, before completely pouring in and seizing all of central Anatolia. The Byzantine Empire was collapsing on all fronts. The treasury was empty. The coins were debased. The Normans took Italy and were now looking at invading Greece. The Pechenegs wiped out the northern provinces of Bulgaria, and the Seljuk Turks swallowed up Anatolia. From all aspects, the Roman Empire was crumbling to the ground. We haven't mentioned the global temperature in a long time, so it's important to point out that the world was going through a warming period. In fact, the period is referred to as the medieval warming period. Now, there's a lot of controversy over the medieval warming period. Not so much that it happened, but more along the lines of why did it happen? Was it localized? And what does it mean? There are many scientists who have written many different papers 
from many different fields, and it seems that the consensus is that, yes, there was a medieval warming period, and most agree that this was a global phenomenon. It appears as though most scientists will agree that it was a global phenomenon. But was it a good phenomenon? Well, the Vikings would have thought so, or anyone living in northwestern Europe, where temperatures went from miserably cold to nice and miserable. Frozen earth makes for terrible harvests. That is a fact. But it isn't just warm topsoil needed for farming. It helps when you can get water to your crops. Before irrigation and garden hoses, the peasants relied on rainfall. A lot of science goes into studying climates from a thousand years ago. Many graphs are required. Data points that track local temperatures as well as rainfall. Some were tracking climate and weather patterns. And other scientists looked at the rings and trees. And other sciences relied on ice cores from Greenland and the Antarctic. When you combine all of these charts, you get a bigger picture of the world at the time. What can be told for certain is that the medieval warm period was warmer, but for a lot of people, it was also drier. Drought hit the Americas, and drought hit the Eurasian steppe. The Eurasian steppe is home to the horse riders, the birthplace of civilization destroyers. At the end of the Roman Empire, the Huns swept across Eurasia and crashed into the Romans, contributing to the fall of the Western Empire. And the only reason the Huns didn't destroy the Eastern Roman Empire is that the Sassanids were equipped to hold off the Huns, and they in turn kept the Roman borders somewhat stable, although they sure gave the Romans a shellacking. Pun time! The Huns eventually settled in Hungary and became Hungary. Isn't it ironic that the Turks settled in Turkey and became Turkey? Maybe if the Huns went to Turkey, they wouldn't be so hungry. Just saying. <laughs> well, the temperature warmed up again, and now the green grasslands of the Eurasian steppe were dry. And the roaming hordes of horse warriors in the east didn't have the green grass needed to feed their horses. So what did they do? They moved to greener grass. What? There are people living there? No problem. We'll just kill them with our arrows. As the stronger tribes took over the greener pastures, the weaker tribes were forced to migrate away. Eventually, this caused a great destabilization of the Eurasian steppe lands. And the horse tribes came crashing into civilized nations to the south. In the east, they poured into China. In central Eurasia, they poured down into the Abbasid Caliphate. And in the west, they crossed the Danube River and entered the Roman Empire. When we focus on the Byzantine emperors, it is so easy to point at the actions of a few men and say, There! That's where it all went wrong. And we will be the first to admit, we have done that several times. But when you step back and look at the entire planet moving through space, it is so much easier to realize 
that these events were out of their control. How could one man know what their actions were going to have on the world? How did they know what was going on on the other side of the planet? They didn't know the grasslands were drying up, that the barbarians and Scythians pouring into their land were desperate. I mean, this did happen only a few hundred years before, and most of these men did have access to the records. But seriously, these people were stuck in their time, in their world, in their immediate circumstances. It's so easy for us to go, Hey, Constantine IX, don't you remember what happened to Zeno in 476? That would be like us talking to the Prime Minister of Britain and saying, Hey, Mr. Prime Minister, don't you think the actions you are taking are similar to the circumstances of Henry VI? Yes, I'm sure the Prime Minister of Britain knows who Henry VI is. No, I'm sure he does not think. How do my actions today reflect the actions taken by Henry VI? Now we have mentioned that the empire was being invaded on all fronts. The Normans in the west, the Pechenegs in the north, and the Seljuk Turks in the east. We have also mentioned that the entire world has been going through temperature changes. Some places experiencing a net positive in the change, and others experiencing a net negative in changes. Now we'll speed up the timeline of bad emperors. I think it's important to also note that not all emperors were bad men, but they did a bad job. In a lot of cases, including Constantine IX, they did everything they thought was best for the empire, and they really cared about fixing things. But ultimately, they failed in stabilizing the empire. When we finished the last episode, Theodora died, and her final nod confirmed Michael Bringus as the Roman Emperor. Michael VI, Michael Bringus, was the Emperor for only a year. He was a finance minister, and knew one thing was true before all else. The treasury was empty. The empire was broke. He had to bring gold into the capital, not send it out. He also had to undo the wrongs of the previous administrations. One thing he did was to reinstate a general of Anatolia back to his position before he was wrongfully terminated by a previous emperor. Unfortunately, he did not go all the way, and he refused to restore the lands and wealth of the general. This is where the finance minister failed because he restored the man with power to power, but he refused to give him his land and wealth. So the general rebelled and brought with him the entire Anatolic army. The general was eventually captured, but the military had enough of Michael VI. They needed a strong leader in these dark times. As the saying goes, finance ministers command very little respect, but they make great drinking cups. The man chosen by the army was a powerful, charismatic, and competent general named Isaac Komnenos. Isaac Komnenos is the forefather of one of the greatest Byzantine dynasties. Probably the greatest dynasty since the Macedonians. 
Isaac Komnenos is such an important figure in history, not because of the work he himself did, but because of the successors who followed. Isaac was raised and trained during the reign of Basil II. He knew what the good times of the Roman Empire were like, when they were on top of the world, when they were the strongest military and cultural power in the world. But he also witnessed it all fall apart. He saw the endless line of bad emperors, bad decisions, and unfortunate events that took them from the height of the Byzantine Golden Age to this point in time. Michael VI was no better. The empire needed a strong man to lead them, and his army proclaimed him, Isaac Komnenos, to be the next emperor. He marched his army to the gates of Constantinople, winning a victory along the way against the loyalists. The patriarch and other advisors convinced Michael VI that there was no point in fighting this. He should abdicate right now and retire while he still had his eyes. On September the 1st, 1057, Michael VI gave up the crown, and Isaac Komnenos was crowned emperor. The ceremony took place inside the Hagia Sophia. Knowing that Isaac was the founder of a great dynasty would make you think he stayed in power for at least a few years, but he didn't. He was in power for less than 30 months. In those short two years, he managed to do a lot. He led a campaign against the Pechenegs and managed to subdue them. He raised taxes and cut needless spending, refilling the treasury, and even managed to keep the eastern frontier in good strength. He was a military emperor who rose to power under Basil II. It is a shame Isaac didn't remain in power longer. Unfortunately for him and the Byzantine Empire, he fell ill in mid-1059. His advisor and chronicler of the time, Michael Selos, was told to find a competent heir who could run the empire. If there was one lesson that everyone knew at the time, the line of succession was the most important legacy an emperor could leave behind. Isaac knew this to be true, and made sure to find a successor long before he died. And so in 1059, on November 23rd, Constantine X was crowned emperor. Constantine X stayed in power for six and a half years, but he was in way over his head. At this point, there was very little he could do. He inherited three major wars happening at the exact same time from superior enemies. His treasury was empty. His citizens were angry. And nobles bickered in his ear all day and night for tax breaks. He lost ground to the Normans in Italy, the Seljuks in Anatolia, and the Pechenegs in Bulgaria. One of his decisions was to completely disband the Armenian militia because he couldn't afford to pay them. But that was the only local force standing up against the Seljuk Turks. His decision to move away from a professional army and rely entirely on mercenaries was deemed by later historians as a fatal move. Even the members of the military who served at the time thought this was a terrible move, and some even said that Isaac Komnenos 
would have never done such a foolish thing. Even though Constantine X tried to fight back against the Normans and Seljuks and Hungarians, and even won a couple of victories, his efforts were in vain, and the empire suffered dearly. On May 23rd, 1067 CE, Constantine X died. His only wish was that his wife Eudokia never remarry and his two sons inherit the empire. He even went as far as forcing her to sign a contract stating that she would never, ever, ever remarry. Of course, she signed it. And of course, she did everything in her power to get out of the very public contract. Technically speaking, Eudokia was the sole empress and ruler of the Roman Empire. For that short period between the death of her first husband and the marriage to her second husband, she was the most powerful person in the Roman Empire. But she really didn't do much and was married later that year. At that point, she was playing a game of hot potato. Best to toss that potato away before it burns your hands or your eyes. Speaking of which, on January the 1st, 1068, Eudokia remarried to Romanus IV, making him the next emperor. Now it was his turn to pilot the sinking ship. He tried to strengthen the army and defeat the advancing Turks, whom everyone knew at this time were the biggest threat to the empire. He was the emperor when the Turks defeated the Romans at Manzikert and the Normans defeated the Romans in Bari. As hard as he tried, he personally fought the Turks, lost, was captured, and forced to pay a ransom before being released, only to return home to a coup, where he was captured again, blinded, and then sent to a monastery to die slowly from his wounds. Michael VII was crowned emperor after the defeat at Manzikert and ruled over the empire for seven years. He fought against the Turks and the Normans and even had to endure civil unrest. A lot happened under Michael VII, but to sum it up, things continued to fall apart. The Turks kept pouring more and more men into Anatolia, and there was nothing the Romans could do to stop them. They were eventually forced to recognize their claim over much of the old empire. Cities that had belonged to the empire only five years before were now gone, never to return. It is under this emperor that two commanders, Isaac Komnenos and Alexios Komnenos, gained their prestige fighting in Anatolia. These are the nephews of the former emperor Isaac Komnenos. It is also important to note just how desperate these emperors felt. There is no doubt that they knew everything was lost. As hard as they might try, there was nothing they could do to stop the advancing Turks, Normans, and Pechenegs. No more than a man could stop the rising tide. Seeing there was no way to win, and more men, younger and stronger, were willing to kill for the chance at being emperor. 
Michael VII stepped down, resigned, and gave the throne to Nicephorus Botaneiates, Nicephorus III. Nicephorus III reigned for just over three years, from January 1078 to April 1081. Obviously, a lot of important events happened under Nicephorus, but it's just more of the same sad, depressing story. The empire was crumbling. Everyone around knew it. But there were some who desperately tried to keep things together. And then there were those who tried to extract all the wealth they could, desperate to hold on to their position and status, all the while watching the empire crumble all around them. The worst news made it to the emperor. The Normans had crossed the sea and were now invading Greece. They were led by a man named Robert Giscard. He was one of the most brutal Normans from Italy, and now he was in Greece. The walls were closing in on Emperor Nicephorus III, and he knew it. At this point, our story is met by three very important characters in history. The Normans, the Seljuk Turks, and Alexios Komnenos. This is where all roads converge. We talked about the Bulgarians, the Vikings, the Kievan Rus, the Fatimid Caliphate, and the Holy Roman Empire. We explained how the Patriarch and the Pope broke apart and excommunicated each other. And now, all these different factions are coming together. Their paths converging on a single event in human history. The First Crusade Alexios is the emperor who calls the West for help. When his call is answered, it brings the entire armies of the First Crusade. It is only natural that we dedicate an entire episode to Alexios Komnenos. His daughter is the author of the classic Alexiad. Alexios Komnenos is faced with two major antagonists, Bohemond, the Norman prince, and the Sultan of the Seljuk Turks. So our next episode will start with the Normans, and we'll catch you up from the time they were granted land in western France by the French king, and follow their events from the conquering of England and southern Italy all the way up to the Norman invasion of Greece by Robert Giscard. Afterward, we will do a special origin story episode of The Turks. This will follow the many migrations of the Turks through the centuries and the Eurasian steppe, covering the Gok Turks, the Khazars, the Pechenegs, and even the Seljuk Turks, ending with the Battle of Manzikert. Finally, we will return to the narrative with the rise of Alexios, the first of the Komnenos dynasty and father to Anna Komnenos. Well, that's it for today. Join us next time on the history of modern Greece. Stay safe and stay awesome. <laughs>